0: Hi, this is Pastor Andrew. Welcome to Tilcom Baptist Church Podcast. I am really glad that you're here today, and I am so excited for you to hear the sermon on 1 John 3 today. I really um, wish we had it on video, to be honest, because I used an example of what God's lavish love looks like um, using some whipped cream and a pie tin, but You can check out the picture on our Facebook of that, that I posted yesterday. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really great illustration. And I'm thankful for, um, our deacon, Jim Olson, being willing to get up there and, and spray some whipped cream into that pie tin. Um, but you know, I just, it was a illustration that I learned when I was a kid going to camp actually. And that's how i uh you know decided to use this because it's something that God had really um used in my life through a wonderful lady named Nancy Wayner uh, She has had a lot of impact on so many kids and people just with sharing jesus and and um so I give her the credit for that. I'm sure she stole it from somebody else too, but yeah I think that, you know, you should really um, listen into this with the intent that, you know, love doesn't mean, you know, just um, good feeling, but love, you know, requires us to walk with Jesus in a way that is righteous and emphasizes personal holiness. And also, you know, really to make sure that we're, um, we're loving the people that God has put around us, even the ones that are hard to love. So God's love lavishes upon you. It should also overflow out of you into your life and into others. So without more to do, I would encourage you to check out our Facebook page uh, and check out that, that picture. I'll put a link to it in the podcast notes. And I hope that you have a great week and that you enjoy this time. Check out 1 John 3.
1: The Bible reading is 1 John 3, uh, 1 through 10. 1 John 3, 1 through 10. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will will. You know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother.
2: It's the word, word of the Lord, and I'm really glad that we can be in this passage today. Um, You know, as I was reflecting on it, I think you know I don't, I don't think as a pastor you're supposed to have a favorite part of the Bible. I don't know. I love the whole Bible, but I really love this passage. You know, the first verse of that last song that we sang, "How deep the Father's love for us," is a perfect summary of the beginning of this passage in 1 John 3. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. This chapter continues the line of thinking uh, that John writes in verse 28 and 29 of chapter two when he says, and now, dear children, continue in him, continue in Christ, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him that is coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. You can say that, you know, this whole section of this chapter, um, you know, actually uh, the first 10 verses, it's a reinforcement of what God's love is, that His return, that Jesus' return is imminent, and how believers. Can differentiate themselves as the children of God from non believers. The rest of this chapter is a summary of the first 10 verses and then it shares concrete examples of how it contrasts God's children and the children of the devil, which is John's designation for those who keep on sinning. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that I think you should call your unbelieving neighbors children of the devil. Um, In fact, I think that we should liken anyone that is an unbeliever as a person who is constantly abused, right? That, they, that often people who are victims of abuse turn back to their abusers and they're under the influence and control of them. Just like people who are enslaved by sin are under the influence and um, in control of the devil. And they need to experience the rescue the adoption, and the lavish love of the Father. And what does this look like? Well, in order to have a more concrete demonstration of this, you're going to need a volunteer. Anybody willing to be a volunteer? I promise you will go home with the same smile on your face as you have right now. All right. Jim, all right, Jim, you're our lucky contestant. I just stand right there. I'll come to you. Can you hold this really quick. Here you go. Hold that. Show the audience what you what you have. You got some some ready whip and uh, and you got a pie tin. Now let's shake it up a little bit. You know, get get some good uh, pride rescue in here. Now, Jim, I'd like you to open that up. And uh, and I'd like you to put a little bit in it, uh, like you know, maybe a quarter of of a full if you can. All right, that's good. Is
0: this is this what God's
2: lavish love looks like? I, I don't know. I, I'm I think we're not convinced. Can you give me a little bit more in there? all right, all right, that's, that's good. Is this, is this what God's lavish love looks like, feels like? It's kind of at the bottom. It's not got very many layers. I don't know about you, but I like my whipped cream pies with layers. And I, I feel like God's love is like that, right? It has layers. The more that you grow in him, the more intimate that you have uh, you know, that relationship into the point where it's just everywhere. Actually, if you can stand up here, you would see that some of it's going to start coming out if Jim keeps uh, spraying it out. Right? I'm going to take a picture of this because, you know, who does this? Crazy the pastor. Okay. So here's the thing, everyone, is that God's love for you is overflowing, and it's way more than this whipped cream the pie thing, All right? And you can go. Thank, thank you, Jim. Everybody give a little bit of applause. Um, thank you for doing that. I just I think that sometimes, you know, it's like maybe it's the, the kid in, inside of all of us, but I think we need a reminder that God's love, even though it's deep and serious and mysterious and has a lot of angles to it, that God's love also brings us a lot of joy. I don't know if cream brings you joy, but it does mean, okay? Um, and, and I think that you know, that we all would recognize that God's love is costly. It's grand. It's elaborate. It's rich. It's heaping. It's overflowing. It's in and through us and around us. It seeks to permeate our mind, our body, and our soul, as we live a life of righteousness empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we neglect to live in the reality of His love, it would be like me coming up to this beautiful plate of whipped cream and throwing some dirt on it and trying to serve it to you. Huh? that's disgusting. Nobody wants dirt on their whipped cream pie. No, we would do our best, brothers and sisters, we do our best to not add to or taint the beauty of God's greatness and love that is lavished in our lives by going on and continuing a, a habit of sin, a lifestyle of sin. Because make... Just know for sure, know certainly that Jesus is returning. And let yourself be found in God's love and move to respond in a life that Jesus guides you in. Now, that could be the end of our sermon, I guess. That'd be a, be a shocker, the suit and the short sermon, but you know you're not getting both today. So, here's what we got. We're gonna work through this passage today with the overarching idea that a life of sin is not compatible with a life of fellowship with God. See? our lives are to be characterized by receiving Christ and becoming like him, okay? We know that God's love is lavished upon us and that we are called his children and that the world doesn't really understand us. We look kind of silly to the world like a whipped cream pie, okay? But then here's what John says in verse 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know, but we know that when he appears, excuse me, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I love Jim's transla- translation: Everyone who has this hope that's fixed to him, um, you know that that um, that because we are God's children, we can be secure in His love. And the reason that the world doesn't understand is that it doesn't understand God. And that because we are his children, we can be confident of our standing in Jesus appearing. Number one, that we will be transformed to be like him. That our bodies won't stay broken down. That we'll get this heavenly body, right? This resurrection body. And that we are pure. That right now if you're in Christ, your righteousness is from him. Okay? So, what is in the way? See, John goes on to say that sin prohibits us from living in and receiving the identity as a child of God. Anybody remains in sin, they're not a child of God. You know, but should we be so, um, I don't know, should we be so surprised when sinners sin? I don't think so. I think they're fitting their job description. In fact, this last... This last week, um, you know, Rachel and I were trying to clean some stuff in the kitchen, and Allison came in and tried to go in the drawers and, and mess things up. And, and I picked her up and I said, you're not supposed to do that, you little sinner. And that didn't make mom happy, right? Like, don't call my baby a little sinner. But it's true, right? She is just acting on her job description, all right? Because look at what John says. He says that everyone who sins breaks the law. And guess what? We all start out as lawbreakers, as sinners. And then John he gives us some examples of what this sin looks like. He says that this sin is um, continu- that this sin is continuing unchecked, unrepented um, habits that we have. I mean, you know. If if you were to take this and say, well, once you get to Jesus, you stop sinning, you stop dealing with sin, oh, man, I wish, I wish that was true. I mean, I, my desires aren't towards sin, but it doesn't mean I don't, that I don't have to still uh, bore against my flesh. You know, that, that sin, John says, looks like hate and murder of human beings, He uses verses 11 through 15 to write, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other and anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. It kind of echoes the words of Jesus in the same comment you now. If you call your brother a fool, you know, if you harbor this hatred in your heart that you've committed murder, may it not be said of us, may it not be so, may we reflect the love of God because it's been lavished upon us. Because sinners, that's what they do. They continue an unchecked, unrepentant sin. They hate and murder others physically or with their mental thoughts. Um, there's neglect for those who are in need. And, and here's what John says in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? See, that doesn't mean every time you roll down the freeway and you see a homeless person, you got to give them a $20 bill, right? Actually, I think the first people that John is kind of addressing here are the people that are in your immediate circle. You know, if, if there's people among us who are struggling, shouldn't we love them enough to walk with them, to help them, and to empower them to get back on their feet? It's not a system of welfare where you get to mooch off of everything for as long as you wish. Now, I know that's a much less nuanced version of what actually happens, but what I'm saying is, is that if you don't have a place in your heart when you see somebody who's in need to somehow point them to a resource or even if God leads you to uh, you know, give, give in a way, maybe it's taking them to McDonald's down the street and giving them a burger. Because I've done that a few times where I feel like God has led me to do that, and it's turning into some great opportunities to share the gospel. See, we don't want to go on neglecting the needs of others, especially when God directs us to be obedient in meeting that need. See, John, he points out that you know, that the, their sin, and that everybody who sins is a lawbreaker. And, you know, then he starts talking about the devil. Oh, the devil. Big topic, right? The devil is the architect of sin. Don't let anybody say or convince you otherwise. God did not author sin, Satan has been sinning since the beginning, okay? I don't know. He was an angel that God created that tried to overthrow, overrule, rebel against God and was cast out of heaven. And so what did he do? But he went and he, he attempted and succeeded in putting a chasm between the creation that God loved the most, right? Because God made his crowning achievement in mankind and he corrupted, he, he tempted them to be corrupted towards sin, right? And Adam and Eve, they had a choice. But, you know, he went and he was conniving and deceiving. Did God really say, oh, no, 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 you will certainly not die. And God knows that you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. Ooh. Man, just crafty, sly Satan. And then, of course, Adam and Eve, they neglect to put everything that they hear against God's word, which was just a few sentences that we get to hear, right? And I, I know I forget things when my when I don't write them down. But I and, and and I guess they forgot what God told them to do. You know? Unfortunately for all of us, right? I mean, it wouldn't it have be been great if they would have been like, nope, no way. But that's not the reality that we live in today. See, Jesus, in John 8, 42 to 44, he's having this conversation with the Jewish leaders, and he says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the devil hates the children of God and so does the world subsequently, right? The influence of Satan on the world to hate God's children. Just overwhelming in some places, right? There's constant persecution, uh, martyrs, people who who are put to the test um, at their jobs and other places, they're suffering for Jesus because the devil wants nothing more to destroy the work of God, the people of God. But good but good news for us. This is good news. Jesus came to oppose and destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Can I hear an amen for that? Because that is good news. And John says in verse 5 that That you know that he appeared, that Jesus appeared, so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. And Jesus succeeded in destroying the kingdom of darkness by his death on the cross, by his resurrection. Now does that mean that Satan isn't still running around trying to cause problems? Of course not. He knows he's on a time clock. He's on a time crunch. And people, listen to me. Jesus wants his children to oppose the works of the devil as well. All right? You don't get to just experience this freedom from sin so that you can say, you know what, I'm just going to try to um, leave the fighting evil to Jesus. Okay? Like, I'm not getting. No, he calls us to be in the trenches. And love is the opposite of the work of this love that God has lavished upon us. He hasn't given it to us so that we can store it up for ourselves, all right? I mean, if this was a real pie, I would have given you all some because I feel really generous and I love to give people pie, okay? But listen to me. God did not give you his love so that you could store it up and live a nice life and go die with to heaven. That's not why he gave you his love and gave you his son. He gave you it so that you can actively work against the works of the devil. And what does that look like today? I love, I don't know if any of you have ever heard Bob Goff, but I like to listen to Bob Goff sometimes. And, you know, he has this book called uh, Everybody Always, talking about what love looks like and just some stories from his life and how God has. Um, challenged him to be obedient. But this is what he says, you know, kind of a summary of Matthew 25 and James 2 to love hungry, thirsty, strange, naked, sick, and imprisoned people, and widows and orphans. See? It's just a summary. I, it gets me every time. Strange, naked people, like, I don't know about that. I draw my line, it's strange and naked. Okay? But Jesus wants us to be. In the fight with love as our motivation, that people would find wholeness in Christ, and that they would become God's children too, right? Like, we know that people keep on sinning because that is what they do. They're in bondage to it, and that when they become a child of God, they don't have to live in that way. But let's be clear that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And I'm not talking about this self-righteousness that says, hey, I'm a good person on the outside, but my life's a mess on the inside, and, and I just want everybody to know how good I, I am I'm doing. No, this righteousness is from Christ, so that even if we're a mess on the inside, he's purified us, right? You're made pure. Even the, he's working out those things in our life so that the things that we do come from a motivation of glorifying him rather than ourselves. And that we're empowered to live a righteous life by God's Spirit who makes us a born-again child of God. In the last verse of this chapter, he says that those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And John, and I know I'm bouncing around here a little bit, but like I said, this passage has a lot of really great, um, you know, concepts and then practice in it. And, and uh, you know, John, he gives us three examples of what righteousness looks like because it would be really bad of me to tell you, hey, you know what, go be righteous and love others. What does that look like, Pastor? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let... The Bible tell us what it looks like. And and number one, an example of a life of righteousness is that sin is no longer your operating system. You know, we all have these phones. I mean, some of us do, not everybody, but we all have these smartphones. And I don't know if you ever get those warnings that say, Oh, you need to update your operating system. It'll do it automatically for you. Just say yes. I hate that. It always happens right in the middle when I'm trying to do something, right? But when you are in Christ, sin is no longer your operating system. You get a permanent upgrade, okay? And and here's what 1 John 3, 6 says. It says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So, dear friends, if your operating system has been changed, stop. Like, give God the... Give God the control of your life so that if you do struggle with something, you can start to uh, allow Him to weed it out of your life. And that, that requires accountability and counseling and His Word and other things that you need so that you can walk in place with a heart that's transformed because sin's not your operating system anymore. Then do that. But I have more good news for you, and this is from a little bit earlier in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9 through 2, 2, where he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, don't do that. We make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks To the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look, if you do sin, fuss up. You've got the best advocate standing in heaven before you, in Jesus Christ. The second example of a life of righteousness is one that remains in God. You know, last week we talked about this, this concept of remaining, and John just keeps going back to it, remaining, abiding. You know, he says in First John 3, 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, this word seed, I'm not talking about, uh, about gardening. You we went and planted a bunch of flowers yesterday. It was a lot of fun. But we're not talking about gardening here, okay? Just bear with me here. John is using the analogy of human reproduction, saying you need a seed to be able to fertilize the egg to give birth eventually, right? That this seed is the seed that God's put in us. The reason that Christians cannot live a life of sin, can't continue in a life of sin when you have fellowship with God, is that the principle of the divine life of God's very being has been implanted in you, And we know that's true, right? Because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah there's something about the Holy Spirit in 1 John that John wants us to know that. We'll probably get more of that next week. But God is our Father and our nature reflects the deepest truth through personal attributes in our practice of righteousness and love for others. Now, you know, you've all seen my son. He's the cutest three-year-old kid in my book. And, you know, everybody, you know, says, oh, he looks just like you. And I'm like, I hope so. Like, I'm his dad. You know, like, like if people, if you don't walk around and people aren't saying, you know what, you kind of look like um, what I, what a representative of what God, what I think God would look like. They're not doing that. Maybe not outwardly, but they don't see that there's something different about you. I think it's time for a heart check, because because the love, because righteousness and love are paired together here. It's not righteousness and then I'll love people when it's convenient, when it's my time.
1: Because honestly,
2: love costs a lot more than than we usually are wanting to do. Okay, but you know what? God's love has in everything. God's love for us, He gave it all. So we need to be like Jesus, laying ourselves down. And, and this is what this is what John John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life. This is verse 16. He laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Right, the reward of a sacrificial heart. John goes on, continuing to talk about rest. The reward of a sacrificial heart is rest. And this, this love is not just words or speech, but it's actions and truth. All right, because it's easy for me to say I love you, but then not show up when you say, "Hey, I really need help." You know, it's, it's really easy to do that. And talk is cheap. Talk is cheap and insincere. So walk your talk with love. We'll read verses 19 through 20, 20, uh, two. And This is what it says. This, is, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. See, the reward of a sacrificial heart is rest. And John says, you know, that it's possible for us to... Uh, misjudge ourselves, to get, get hard on yourself because, oh, I, I said an unkind word to my spouse before they left for work. Oh, I'm so terrible, such a terrible spouse. Or, oh, my kid was doing something and I got mad. Oh, I feel like a terrible parent. You know, this, there's this condemnation that sometimes we speak to ourselves, that sometimes the devil is actively, you know, he's active in doing that condemnation. Or we receive it from others who we thought loved, loved us and, and thought highly of us, right? But but they, they kind of speak against your character. They speak against, you know, what God is doing in you, where he's placed you. And it can get really easy to get caught up in this condemnation cycle. But praise the Lord that God knows our hearts. And God is more gracious to me than I am, because even if you feel condemnation, John says God's knowledge is greater than your own. And you know, do you remember verse one? How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, friend? If you've received this love, you're already secure in Christ. If You received this love, and you're walking, and you're remaining in Him. And you're living in righteousness and love of your brother and sister and neighbor and everybody else in between. It doesn't matter if you have an off day, if you don't feel like it. Alright? Because the truth is greater than your feelings. Okay? That doesn't mean that, you know, self-awareness doesn't have a place. But it just means that, remember, it's, it's not. You're not the one who has the full awareness of the situation. You need to seek God in that. See, to be honest, I think that a better teacher of where you're at is where your actions are. Because your actions will reflect your heart. Because if your heart is not sacrificial, your actions will follow. But if your heart is sacrificial, those actions will follow. Those actions of sacrifice will follow because, friends, it's not merely enough to know God's word and say, I'm going I'm to do it, and I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to make it, and I'm doing this, you know, really hard stuff. Because if you're doing it all your own, obedience to God without hard transformation is still a one-way ticket to hell. And I do not say that lightly. But even Jesus says, there will be people who say, Lord, I did all these things for Lord, um, I prophesied, I did miracles, I, and you know what he's going to say? Away from me. I never knew you. If you know this lavish love the Father has given you, if you know that you've experienced that heart transformation because of Jesus' death, resurrection and the work of the holy spirit in you guess what you know some freedom you get some rest you get to rest knowing that if your heart does not condemn you that you're free to obey to believe and to love as a child of god how beautiful See. The easy conclusion of this sermon would be to take the last two verses of this chapter, which say that this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know that, it, know it by the spirit he gave us. See, it'd be easy for me to say, here's the last two verses, here's the application, now go do it. But I feel like the still is a little too abstract, okay? And perhaps it's a disservice to you who are sitting there and asking yourself, asking me, so what? All right, because I love that question. Whenever it comes to scripture, so what? First off, the end of this chapter is steeped in the presupposition that as a child of God who loves their brother and lives in righteousness... That you're going to be offering prayers faithfully to the Lord that help you to develop faith, intimacy, reliance, and trust for the Lord to provide everything that you need. Right? And then you're like, Pastor, I don't see anything about prayer. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I know that because somebody asked me when I shared this. It says that our hearts, verse 21, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything that we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. See, that simple word, ask, it's about prayer, okay? Don't miss it. It's about prayer. So my first question for you, believer, is how is your prayer life? Do you take everything to the Lord in prayer? Does your heart rest at peace when you bring yourself to him and concentrate on listening to him. And yes, I said listen. Okay? Because, let's be honest, sometimes it can be really easy to um, turn God, I think culture does this, I think people do this, um, turning God into our counselor where I can bet on my couch and be like, what's wrong with the world, God? Why aren't you doing that? Or, why is my life so hard? Or I'm having a struggle, I don't know what to do about it. And then try to decide well, what's the what form of behavior modification do I need to do today so I can make my life better? This is not the gospel. The gospel requires for us to lay ourselves bare at the foot of the cross. Where everyone begins as a sinner. So we're all equally guilty. We must repent. We must trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for salvation from our sin. We must give ourselves to the Spirit's call to live a life of obedience to God and love for others. You know why? Because God wants to cultivate intimacy with you. His love is lavished upon you he wants to cultivate intimacy with you now it would be really rude of god to lavish his love upon you like a sports team throwing gatorade over their coach right that's not what god's lavish love is about like i said it's about layers about the layer upon layer that he keeps bringing you into the recognition of who he is in your life and how he has brought you from death from your sin, into life. See, he doesn't just want your head to be the only thing that the word of God does. He wants your heart. He wants your finances. He wants your marriage. He wants your children. He wants everything because it's already his. He wants to transform every area of your life so that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, here's my suggestions for applying the scripture to your life. And I know that might have just sounded like any meditation, but I promise you there's more. Don't worry. We're going to get into some application here. Everyone, start to develop a habit of prayer. And that means listening and talking to God. If you're just talking to God, I would really encourage you to zip, zip the lip for a few minutes, start it, and just start listening. Start receiving from him that grace and that joy and that love that's lavished upon you. And if you're saying to me, well, I already do that. I've already been praying. I've already been talking. I've already been listening for years and years and years. Well, then here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to increase your time with God in prayer. And I would air, I would ask you to air on more of the part of silence, of listening. Um, because it takes some time to quiet your mind sometimes. To not think about, oh, I've got to do that chore. Or, you know, just the unfinished things that that dwell in our mind that keep us from having deeper intimacy from God. I challenge you to increase your time. Secondly, I would like you to really take some time over this next week, hopefully, Um, or even today, this afternoon, to examine your recent conversations and actions with people to identify where God's love was present in and through your actions. What you did. Not just what you said, right? What you did. Um, Because like I said earlier, love is really hard. See, even though sin is no longer my operating system, um, I've got to see everything through a Jesus filter. You know, i got to speak and do everything through that Jesus filter in my life. And I, just, I don't know, I know some of you all, like baseball in here. If I get to a point where I'm not paying attention to that Jesus, Jesus filter, it can be like a catcher trying to throw somebody else who's stealing second base, ripping that mask off to, to see things the way that I think it should be, Right? But here's the thing, is that if it's hard to find those moments, then let God guide you in how to improve your reaction so that love becomes what you're building into that operating system, that God's love is in in you, that you're responding to it, and that you're, you're acting upon that love that God has given you. And lastly, I would really challenge you to decide how you will tangibly show love to a person in your circle of influence. And and I don't know, maybe you remember those those sheets that we gave out a few months ago, those like, hey, who's in your house, Who's who's your neighbors, who's your family, who are people in your workspaces? If you don't remember that or you haven't done that, there's some on the back over by the missionary um, table, and if you want to do that, I would encourage you to take that up this week and make a commitment to God, and maybe let one other person know for some accountability, right? We always do a little bit better when we're a little accountable to somebody. Um, because to be honest, what we need to do is we need to make love an action. We need to make loving people a priority, And it might be a test for some of us, but, you know, there's no testimony without a test. And uh, I'm hoping that if you do take time to do this this week, that we'll have a little bit of time next week to share what God impressed upon you to do. Not to parade around and say, hey, look what I did, but to say, you know what, I, I took the step of faith and obedience. God to, to love this person and here's what God did here's what God empowered me to do so um, we're gonna we're gonna go into communion <laughs>